Welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast, where we celebrate the unsung heroes of the learning and development industry. As always, we'll be bringing some laughter and a bit of fun along the way, but more importantly, you'll get some incredible insights, key lessons, and unique perspectives on everything related and possibly unrelated to training and development. Let's get this show on the road. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Impact Learning Visionaries podcast. Today, we have with us Fionn Barkley. Fionn is a, uh, has an impressive 15 years of experience in people development and has devoted her career to crafting impactful learning experiences in the tech and financial services industry. Uh, her expertise extends from devising effective learning strategies all the way through to implementing those strategies so that she can equip her colleagues with skills and confidence that they need to reach their goals. Fionn has a passion for lifelong learning. Um, she's not afraid to give constructive feedback and is a big fan of fostering positive workplace cultures. Um, and we are absolutely delighted to have her with us today. Welcome, Fionn. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and thanks for the lovely introduction. You're very welcome. And continuing on from that lovely introduction, um, I'm really curious to find out, you know, your your journey, um, because you know, each of us have our own incredible stories, um, and this is all about, you know, kind of of people who are making a difference in the learning and development um, space, and you, you've had quite a lot of experience, um, especially in kind of financial services and banking, and very curious to hear your journey. Um, starting with, I was born at a very young age. I'm, I'm joking, you'd have to go back that far. Um, yeah, well, I, I mean, my career's taken quite a circuitous route. It's certainly not been as linear as some. And I think that's largely in part, um, largely down to the fact that I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I when I was older, when I was choosing to study at university. So I studied philosophy and politics at university because I loved it. Um, and I was really interested in people and in the world but I didn't know what I was going to do after that point. And my first job actually was working as a learning support assistant. So it was learning related, but it was completely different. I was working in a in an FE college um, and it was a program designed for young people who'd left school with no qualifications. So it was really basic numeracy and literacy with people who were refugees or they were young offenders or, you know, they had learning difficulties and they'd left school with no GCSEs. But from then I pivoted entirely and I worked um, in a payments company in corporate strategy, um, which I loved, um, and funnily enough, you know, I'm back in a fintech now, so I've kind of, I've done, I've done a few different roles in the UK and in Italy. But when I worked in Italy, I worked for um, uh, an edtech slash corporate training provider. We built an LMS that we sold to our clients, um, and so I've kind of seen all the different sides of L and D, I suppose. So now I'm working as a head of learning and development at um, at a fintech, as I said, Tenex Banking. Um, and that's all kind of putting everything together, I suppose. So as well as kind of leading the function, I am a trainer, I deliver training, I'm a coach, I'm a mentor as well. I've got a mentee that I work with. So I'm kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in all aspects of L&D from the strategy to the actual practical um, operational side of it as well, the tactical side of it as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been really fortunate to work in some really fantastic teams as well and and. I have got um, a master's in human resource management and training, and I'm working now in a people team with lots of different experts, uh, which is brilliant. So, 
as well as, as as leading the L&D function, you know, I sit in the HR leadership team and I, I get to be involved in all of the work we're doing to drive the people strategy at 10x, which is which is really inspirational. So to, to two immediate questions from that, like that I'm quite fascinated about. The one is your original start to your career of kind of of um did you said uh uh was philosophy, right? Yeah, philosophy and politics. It was a joint honours, yeah. yeah. How's how do you I mean, have have you have you found that that's kind of given you a different approach or perspective to to learning and development? Interesting. I I studied philosophy and politics because I am interested always, always in, in people and society and how the world works. And when I studied those subjects, it was political philosophy I was always very interested in. And it was existentialism when it came to philosophy that I was always interested in. And I guess that that desire, that drive to understand people and to, I'm a people person that everything I do is informed by that. I suppose has continued throughout my career. Um, like if you were to look behind me at all of the books on my shelf, they're probably all about people, whether they're about learning, or whether they're about politics or philosophy. So I suppose in many ways um, it does link in with what I do now. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm really interested in uh, workplace culture as well, and 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 a workplace is like a microcosm for society as a whole. Um, so I do feel like it it's it's tied together actually, um, although it might seem like it's not. No, definitely, and and I'm, I was thinking when you said, you know, looking behind me and my books are all about people, someone looked behind me and realized mine were all fictional characters and Muppets. I'm not <laughs> sure what that says about me. But um, I think, you know, if, if I think about it, every single kind of, of workplace that we're in is almost like a little mini microcosm of the world that we live in, and it's got its own kind of, of ecosystems and its own political structures and its own kind of, of rules of engagement. So I was quite fascinated to see if, if you've picked up on that and kind of applied some of those um, political and, and, as Derek Zoolander would say, philosophizing skills um, to, to the learning and development space, and it definitely sounds like you have. Um, so the second thing I wanted to just just ask you about is is um, as someone who's who's kind of also had that kind of career that's that's from time to time taken a bit of a left turn at Albuquerque, um, and and being in a position where you've almost sat on both sides of the table, like you've you've been the person applying learning and development in the organisation, you've been the person trying to sell learning and development systems and and um, consult into those environments what's what's been your kind of like your big ahas like you know kind of now sitting on both sides of the table where where are you finding kind of you're more empathetic having gone through those process both processes that's a really really good question um i think i think i'm empathetic to um the needs of individuals and the needs of learners employees um there are many barriers to learning and the fact that people are are busy and are stressed and are working hard to do a good job that time time is one of the biggest one of the biggest barriers that i face and and understanding that you know you can spend money and you can invest in really really positive powerful impactful learning um but you can't 
you know, you can take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Um, you have to create a culture around that that empowers people to take charge of their learning. And often, actually, you have to learn how to learn as an organization. And that is very specific to the microcosm that you mentioned, the specific culture. Um, in some organizations, you might say, OK, Tuesday mornings, 10 a.m., that's our learning hour and that's going to work. That doesn't work for us at 10x, for example, but that has worked in other organizations that I've worked for. So understanding that investing in, in the best tools possible is, is really important, but that you need a culture that supports and encourages and rewards learning is, is what you need to do to empower that individual because there are so many barriers. And people, when they're doing a good job, will choose to do their desk job over learning when they think that they are duty-bound to do that. So that's one thing. Um, and I think another thing... Another thing that occurs to me if I think about my career and when I think about, you know, 15 years ago when I joined the workforce, what was learning and development? If that existed in the organisations I worked in, it was probably quite a reactive function sitting within the people team. Um, it was probably an internal training provider, probably administered your your mandatory training and, and kind of that's what it did. Now, I think L&D is being called upon to support retention and attraction of talent um, to drive engagement, to underpin equality and diversity. There's so much that L&D is being asked to do. So an aha moment for me has been thinking, right, okay, L&D needs to be a strategic business partner. It needs to be operating at the highest level of the business, delivering value, solving organizational challenges, not just sitting there and being, you know, your internal training provider. So I'm really passionate about L&D kind of demanding a seat at the table at the highest level. And you do that by saying to the business, what are your organizational challenges and how can I actually solve those for you with learning? And again, you know, it comes back to culture and it comes back to organizational design and development as well. It can't just be learning in isolation, but that's something that, um, especially in recent years, I've thought about a lot. And I think it's incumbent on people working in the L&D space to really demand that seat at the top table um, and deliver that value to business. And, and how are you perceiving that companies are em embracing that because I, I think you know you're right 15 years ago um, learning and development was was probably kind of integrated into HR and it was largely being driven by line managers who every year they would basically fight for this this kind of minuscule little budget called training um, and you know and and then have to somehow try and and you know um, deal with the the you know, every single person on their team wanting some very grandiose and inc incredibly expensive training experience. So it was really a grudge purchase, you know, uh, for many organizations. And, and how are you finding that that's evolved? Um, because it, it sounds, I mean, you rightly so, you're saying that learning development now is, is a much more strategic um, kind of function inside organizations, especially, and we'll get to this now around the future of work. Mm. Yeah, so, you know, as you say, I think if L&D remains a very reactive function and waits for people to ask for budget to invest in learning, um, we might have an impact on the individual. Um, we might be able to purchase courses or conferences or training events which which empower that individual or, or, or upskill them. Um, but I think it's very difficult um, when you're working in that way to demonstrate any kind of meaningful return on investment when it comes to your learning budget. I think you have to be proactively partnering with the business at the beginning of the year to actually um, look ahead and say what's coming up on the horizon, where are we now and where do we want to be 
you know, what can't your team do that we want your team to be able to do to help us reach our business goals and then actually plan to spend money in that way. And that way, not only do you get um, the benefit of maybe buying in bulk, so rather than responding to individual requests, you can actually plan to run a cohort for learning, um, but you can actually start to to deliver value to the business. And I think that's that's really the key thing. And that's what I'm really trying to do at 10X Banking at the moment. Um, we also found, to be honest, with having just a budget that people people can make requests for, we were underspending in that way. So people actually weren't, because they're busy and because they're doing a great job, they weren't actually asking for that money. So that's something that's really important. I think the other thing that you know anyone working in L&D needs to do is put together a suite of the best possible learning tools um, and platforms and solutions that they can. Um, we've designed at TEDx a career and capability framework that sets out um, the expectations in terms of competencies for each role in each job family. And we've linked that to learning pathways on our LMS. So we've got a suite of really good content available for people. They've got licenses to online learning portals as well, so they can access content, whether it's technical, whether it's interpersonal. But you can't say to people, you know, we expect you to learn and grow in this role if you're not providing that. So, you know, my kind of commitment to my employees at the business um, that I work at is we will provide the best possible learning solutions for you. And we will try to build a culture in which learning is recognized and rewarded. Um, and, and, and that way you've got learning in the flow of work on demand and you've got some um, some ability to plan how you spend your budget strategically as well. And that for me is the right approach, I think, with learning. Brilliant. And yeah, given that, you know, learner management systems are often kind of housings for e-learning modules and video content, um, and we see, you know, statistics in the industry that talk about the, like, you know, generally the low completion rates of e-learning modules, um, as well as the kind of low knowledge retention rates of video content and textbook content. I, I guess it's it's you know how how firstly do you do you kind of see that as an issue or is is that just kind of of the the industry trying to you know, kind of of sensationalize something or and and also the second part of the question is if that is true how how are you guys tackling that challenge? Mm. I mean I do think it is an issue um, because obviously. When we're looking at the data that we have available, if no one is doing any learning, there is a problem. You know, if people are starting courses but not finishing them, if people are spending only a couple of minutes on a platform, I do think we have a problem. Um, however, I think it's really, really important when we look at measuring data in L&D that we're looking at quality of learning and not just quantity. I'm never interested on only reporting on time spent on platforms or time spent completing e-learning. Um, I really think it's important that we look at how learning is applied. And I think having the ability to apply the learning that you've just done overcomes those challenges that you talked about. That's what helps people remain motivated and engaged to learn. And that's what ensures retention of the knowledge as well. So it is, again, back to that piece of the, the culture and the frameworks and the structures you have in place to recognize reward learning, to reinforce learning. Um, you know, a small example, but for example, at, at 10X, we run learning awards. So we recognize um, our top learner. And that's not the person that spent the most time learning. That's a person who we see makes learning a way of being in their roles. Uh, we recognize top the top manager 
And that's the person that's really encouraging learning in their teams, you know, maybe putting it into their sprints if they're technical teams, for example. And we also reward the top creator because that's another thing, you know, people talk a lot about learning cultures, but what is a learning culture at your organization? If it is lots of people learning, then having a great LMS with lots of content on might be the answer to that. But at 10X, learning is not just the transfer of knowledge. We want learning to also mean the creation of knowledge and the sharing of knowledge. So we also reward our top creator who's building courses, not just building digital learning courses, but maybe running lunch and learns, you know, going and seeking out new learning and bringing it back. Um, so I think it's really important to recognize, yeah, the quality of learning that's taking place, not just the quantity. Having said that, absolutely, you know, people finding time to learn is a challenge, is a challenge. And I know some organizations will approach that challenge by saying, here's, a here's an hour to learn or here's two hours to learn. The reason I'm not keen on doing that, aside from the fact we're so busy in a scaling fintech that I worry people wouldn't use that time if I gave it to them, is actually because I don't want people to think that now I'm working and I'm doing emails and I'm in meetings and then I'm stopping and I'm learning and that means I'm in a course or I'm you know, attending a, a webinar. We should be learning in the flow of work. We should be learning as we as we work. So I want people to understand learning as a way of being, which is why I, I always put a focus on, on feedback and on culture because I think that's a way of us learning as we as we work in our roles in our everyday jobs. Definitely. I mean, there's two things. I mean, I think two two very impactful things you said that you talk about you know, kind of applied learning, which I big fan of. Um, and and you've talked about culture, and and actually that's that's the one I I really want to kind of dig into a little bit here because you've you've mentioned that a few times, um, like kind of creating this culture of a learning organization. So. Can, can you tell me, I mean, in, in terms of, of your journey um, and in the past or with, with 10X Banking is, you know, how how do you go about creating that that culture of learning? What are the kind of some of the early foundational things that you do and, and, and how do you kind of grow and scale that culture of learning? Yeah, and it's it's the great question. It's it's the question every every LMD professional was asking themselves. And um, you know, I'm not saying that I've got all the answers because culture's never static. It's always changing and it's and it's growing. But uh, when I came into this role, which was January last year, um, I had a very clear mandate from our chief people officer, who's fantastic, who's my my manager, which was to to firstly just put in place the basics. You know, we needed a new LMS. We needed a new suite of learning material. We needed leadership development training. We we hadn't um, yet invested in, in training our managers. So we had promoted people who might be great at their jobs, but didn't really have any insights on how to empower others from that position of, of being a manager. So last year, those were the things I focused on, on developing. Um, and as I say, I mean, they're the building blocks, they're the absolute fundamentals, but get those right. And you can say, okay, now, now we've got the right tools in place to help you. Um, we've got the right systems, we've got the right frameworks. Uh, we'd also launched a career and capability framework as well. Then you can think bigger and you can think, okay, how do we wrap that into our, our culture that goes around it? So for me, a, a really big point has been partnering with the executive committee and the, and the senior leadership team at the highest levels of the business to understand what our business challenges are so that we can deliver learning that meets those. By doing that, you get the engagement of key stakeholders and they can role model learning for you and the importance of it. They can they can start to embed that because if you don't have their buy-in, 
it's all very well saying to your employees you need to be learning but if you don't have yeah if they feel that their manager their managers managers the leadership don't support that culturally that's probably going to fail so those are two things that I think are really important and then you know you need to be talking about learning you need to be shining a spotlight on learning we've got um, newsletters that go around every month which is kind of a learning update that we, we do a learning drop so you've got webinars workshops digital learning pathways that come out that you can sign up for I regularly speak at our town hall I did this morning actually um, so you know we're talking about learning we're talking about learning from mistakes you know our leadership team are vulnerable they're telling us when things maybe don't go to plan um, that focus on learning at every level of the business helps to promote that culture I think um, but as I said before, you know, every company's culture is very, very specific to themselves. And a culture is never mm. is never static. It's always changing. So, you know, um, we put the structure in place. We engage the senior leadership team and hopefully we empower individuals. And all of those things together help to build a culture in which learning is really valued. That's great. And in, in terms of this, this, um, this process, one thing I'm really kind of, I'm always curious about because, you know, one of those left turn at Albuquerque kind of of career moves was very much in analytics and and data insights. And um, one of the things I've, I've always been a very strong proponent, like proponent of is, is linking anything that's done inside an organization to the kind of top line, um, like objectives of the business. Um, and not creating kind of of ivory towers or silos in the business where you've got someone who's got a set of metrics who's who's they're brilliant, but it's not clear how they're really kind of translating into what the the business as a whole needs to do. Mm -hmm. um, and in in learning and development, especially, um, that sometimes can be a challenging thing to do, especially when you kind of have some type of learning that maybe doesn't directly kind of relate to a top line metric like you know we need to be 20 percent more profitable we need to drop like cut our costs by x amount we need to engage 10 percent more customers get 12 percent more market share and then you're coming along and saying okay well one of the things we need to do is like you know like soft skills training or governance training and curious as to kind of in, in those types of conversations you know how how you navigate being able to kind of get the buy-in from the executives, know what specifically to measure so that you can kind of correlate it up to those those types of measures that kind of, of resonate with your, your ex-comb. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great question and something I think, you know, I've asked myself multiple times throughout my career. Every time I'm in a new role or launching a new pro uh, project or anything uh, in relation to learning and development, how do I demonstrate that ROI and, and what should I be measuring in order to, to show that this has been successful. I, I don't believe just measuring the quantity of learning really tells you much um, that's impactful. Instead, I think you have to take quite a nuanced view of the data that the people data that we collect. We've got um, someone in our HR operations team who's an HR um, data analyst and he's fantastic. And I, I work closely with him to ensure that we've got um, you know, an overview of, of, of in real time of our people data. Um, but we're looking at things like retention, for example, which, you know, in the tech industry, there can be a lot of, of change. So, you know, our retention figures are fantastic and you will find that when, where people feel 
in uh, that their learning and development, their career development is being invested in, they do want to remain in that organisation. So while I can't lay entirely claim to that figure as being my own, it is one of the things that we would look at. Um, I think it's really important to be running regular um, engagement surveys as well. So, you know, for example, when we ran our first ever leadership development training, the scores for our managers from their people went up. And that's something, again, I can't wholly lay claim to that data than that figure, but it is something that I'm sure um, was uh, was affected by us running that leadership development program. So I think you have to be quite prosaic and quite nuanced and look at what data points you have and certainly keep an eye over them. When it comes to then getting the buy-in from senior leadership for for learning, when I'm you know when I'm working out how much budget we're going to have and we're making the case to say we need to invest in this, how do we go about that? It comes back to what I said before, which was if you can solve business challenges, Exco will always support what you're trying to do. So if you work in L&D, you need to get under the skin of the business. Absolutely don't stay in your lane. Don't stay sitting back reactively in the people function. Get to know everything. Get to know everyone's jobs. Get to know the challenges that they face. Speak to people across the business and understand what are the things that we're not doing as well as we could. And then go to Exco and say, here's a learning solution that I think will solve that problem. And if you're able to do that, you will you will have their buy-in. And then, as I say, you know, there are, there's a lot of data you can use and you should use. Um, but yeah, it, I, I wouldn't say with things like retention, for example, that we can 100% say L&D is the reason for that because we've got, you know, a fantastic head of people experience. We've got our HR ops teams. We've got our talent acquisition team who are doing amazing work in the DEI space. So it's it's a number of different factors. But I think, yeah, that's that's what's important. What I would not advise people to do is simply look at learning that has, you know, the hours of learning that have taken place. I'm not sure how that useful, how useful that data is. So what what I really <clears throat> what I really loved about what you just said, and I I don't know if 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 um if this is going to kind of of resonate, but you've you've kind of taken a design thinking approach to learning and development. Like you kind of applied what design thinking will call the ethnographic research phase is. Before you try and solve a problem, first spend time understanding it. And and actually, it's like one of my favorite quotes of all time is when Einstein said, "If I had twenty days to solve the problem, I'd spend the first nineteen thinking about it." Um, is is you've kind of taken that that almost like ethnographic style approach of really kind of of rolling up your sleeves, getting stuck in, and understanding how the organization and that ecosystem around you works, almost coming straight back to philosophy and politics um that's but i i i want i mean i wonder how many other learning and development managers do that and and i almost i'm going to ask a very open-ended question now because normally kind of the, the last two questions i ask are um the first of the two is is very much from kind of if you had one piece of advice to to kind of impart um, you know, what what would you kind of of impart to other learning and development people? And I think, you know, that's that ethnographic, like really understanding the, the organization that you're working in so that you can understand how to make a difference would would definitely be one big thing that I would encourage learning and development managers to do if they're not doing that already. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else that you you would encourage people to do like you know, kind of one of your big lists, life lessons having kind of gone in the space that you would 
like that wisdom that you would like to impart? Yeah. I mean, do you know, if I, I do think regardless of having studied philosophy and politics, I think most people working in L&D are driven by people and are interested in people. So actually, the wonderful thing about learning and development is there's so much collaboration and sharing in this space. So even people that work for different organisations, competitors of mine, um, I have calls with on a regular basis. For example, I had someone that reached out to me who's a head of learning from another fintech and said, do you want to just have a, a chat, a virtual coffee once a month? which I was so pleased with. And we just talk about the shared challenges and problems that we face. So actually, I think that's a wonderful thing about learning and development. But yeah, as you've said, my, my fundamentally, the, the biggest piece of advice I would give would be don't stay in your lane, get under the skin of the organization, use every tool at your disposal to make contact with people at every, um, at every level and in every department within your organization. We have this fantastic tool because we use Slack as an internal messaging tool. Um, called Donut, which is an add-on on Slack. And it randomly matches two people, not everyone, only people that have chosen to sign up for it. Um, it randomly matches two 10Xs across the organization every two weeks and just encourages you to have a conversation and get in touch. I absolutely love that call, uh, that, that, um, that tool. And I've had a Donut call every two weeks, bar when I was on holiday, I think every two weeks since I joined the organization a year and three, four months ago. And I just use that call to find out what people do because we've got all of these job titles that maybe I, were, I wasn't aware of what the skills were needed for that job or I wasn't aware of what that person did. I use that call just to find out, you know, what do you do? What are the issues that you face? What are you learning? What would you like to learn? That has been honestly the most beneficial thing for me um, at 10X. And in previous jobs, uh, I would have done exactly the same thing as well. And I think that would be a big piece of advice is don't just think you're delivering learning, you're you're solving challenges for the organisation. And so spending that time to, to meet the right people and make those connections with stakeholders and understand uh, what the challenges are means that you'll get that buy-in. Um, and I think another thing is to have empathy and patience with your learners as well. There are points, I'm not ashamed to admit, where I've felt frustration, like maybe I've put on some learning or I've bought a learning tool and I think it's fantastic. Like I've invested in a coaching program and then people aren't doing the coaching sessions. And it's really easy to think then, you know, or you buy some fantastic learning content and people aren't doing the courses. It's really easy to think, well, hang on, you're asking me for learning and I'm giving you learning. Why aren't you doing it? But again, don't take that personally and stop and think, what are the challenges that you face in the organization? What are the barriers to um, engagement that you see? And it will be time more often than not. It won't be that people don't care about learning and it's not a priority for them. It's that they've got 10 other priorities which are competing with that. So being sympathetic to that and then thinking, how can I help um, this person overcome that challenge? And how can I design learning interventions which really appeal to a person with those kind of problems is really important as well. Um, and the nice thing is with learning, we're all learning all the time. Again, if you work in L&D, you love learning. So I'm always engaged in lifelong learning myself. So I understand those challenges. Um, when I did my master's in HR, I did that while working as a, an L&D manager in, in, a, in a scaling startup. And I was really, really busy. And so I absolutely understand the difficulty of having your full time job and then needing to go and do learning outside of that. But I also know how rewarding that was for me to, to do. In fact, I'm doing another course this year. And um, that's a level seven um, postgraduate certificate because I, I can't get enough of it. I love to be learning while I'm working. Um, so role modeling that is really important as well. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, so um, in terms of a wisdom bomb, that was it. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot to take out there. Um, I think, you know, you, you've, you've talked about the patience and empathy. Um, fascinating that you picked up, I think, with what a lot of <laughs> entrepreneurs struggle with as well, which is falling in love with your own ideas and your own product and not necessarily kind of going back and understanding what your customer needs. Um, and also just that that kind of connectedness, um, and um, and I love that you talked about the donut add-on to Slack because we use it as well. In fact, it was such a huge success we ended up with a little sideline thing called Between Two Donuts because you know we're all big fans of Between Two Ferns, um, and uh, yeah, so I would definitely encourage people to try that add-on. It's a lot of fun. Um, it gives you like a, <clears throat> a talking point every every week or every two weeks to kind of talk to someone to talk a stranger with. So it's a, Great ice-breaking tool. <clears throat> Brilliant. So, last question on the topic of lifelong learning. Um, always like to kind of, of give the audience a little bit of a takeaway. And um, what, I, what I ask every single person uh, on, this, on this podcast is if you can share a either a book or a podcast or something that you've read or listened to which hey, recently that has made a uh, resonated or made a big impact or given you an aha moment? Yes, absolutely. I've actually got it here. Um, I'm currently reading, as is everyone in 10X, we've bought this book for everyone, Radical Candor by Kim Swap. Um, and I'm, yeah, you said aha, so you obviously know her from the viral TED talk. Um, but uh, I, I, as I said, I'm really, I'm really passionate about the idea of effective feedback. I've often found effective feedback learning you know training or workshops to be the most impactful of of any that I've attended or delivered um so so Kim Scott's theory pretty pretty simple theory really for giving effective feedback is that you need to both care personally and challenge directly so that you can give effective feedback and that by doing so you will transform your working relationships and I really really believe that feedback is the key to personal growth to organizational development um it underpins inclusion and well-being in the sense that people can bring all of their opinions and their whole self to work. And I think it also drives high performance. So I've read this book, I'm rereading it, and I'm, I'm actually picking out sections that I think are really, really helpful. Um, and I would re really recommend it either this or, or watch the TED Talk. There's loads of resources online for Radical Candor, but this is something we've chosen to invest in as a learning program for the whole of 10X um, because I believe in it that much as, as a concept. So yeah, I can't emphasize em enough how important feedback is. Um, if you're engaging in learning and development, but you're not getting feedback or giving feedback, it's really, really hard um, to actually follow a career path and, and, and to learn and develop new skills. So I think, you know, I don't know if it's, it's a British thing. I think we are quite reserved naturally. Maybe sometimes it's also a female thing, um, but it's very easy to fall into that habit of ruinous empathy where you you care a lot about your colleagues and you don't want to be mean and you don't want to hurt their feelings so you just don't challenge them when you think that you should but not challenging people not speaking up when things don't work when things have gone wrong that can create actually a really really toxic workplace culture and we see workplaces where there have been you know big scandals or you know big mistakes that's often it's the case that someone knew that things weren't going well but they didn't they didn't speak up and and that's not the kind of place I want to work in. So, and it's certainly not the kind of place 10X is, but I, yeah, I can't recommend Radical Candor enough. Um, I'm really, I'm really enjoying going through that learning program as an organization. 
Um, completely resonate with that. It's um, one of the recent books I too absolutely fell in love with and love the concept. And in fact, just as a personal um, suggestion to you, because of the um, the kind of feedback element of it, a follow-on book I read from that, which I found actually be very complimentary and resonated really well, and I don't know if you've read it yet, is a book called Thanks for the Feedback um, oh. by Douglas Stone and Sheila Keen. Um, and it's, it's all around... Um, the person on the other side, understanding that all feedback, you know, we, we often take feedback in, in our perceived way of taking feedback and, and understanding that feedback in any form is a gift. Um, and I found that it was actually a really nice compliment to Radical Candor. So I'll leave that as a little bit of a takeaway for you to go and have a little squiz at. Um, but Fionn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege and a joy spending some time getting to know about your journey, what you're doing at 10X. Sounds like you're doing some amazing stuff there. And um, if anybody's looking for a great place to work, well, you heard it here first, folks, 10X. <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Impact Learning Visionaries. If you found it interesting or helpful, please subscribe by clicking on the button down below so you don't miss our next one. Also, be sure to check out our Reality Bytes blog for more information on how technology is aiding in learning development. Links are all in the description below. Go check it out. Thanks a lot. Bye.